0: Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage.
1: You're listening to Radio Rounds, a talk show created and hosted mostly by medical students, where today's stories are told by tomorrow's doctors. My name is Avash Khara, and welcome to the show. Coming up on today's episode...
2: You don't really realize the value of having a patient as part of your quality improvement team until you're actually trying to do quality improvement. We as doctors specifically tend to be very sure of ourselves when it comes down to identifying solutions that we think is best for our own system. Because we think we own the system in the sense that we are responsible for care, we're responsible for making sure that the right care happens. But it's really not our system. It's really the patient system.
3: That was Dr. James Moses, faculty advisor for the Institute for Healthcare Improvements Open School for Healthcare Professionals. Hear more on this episode of Radio Rounds.
4: You're listening to Radio Rounds, where we bring you today's stories from tomorrow's doctors. I'm Lakshman Swamy. And I'm Yojin Patel. And today's a special occasion for us. We've now aired 100 episodes on Radio Rounds. We'll be celebrating with a few comments throughout the episode. Uh, just a little bit about the show, a few of us started Radio Rounds a few years ago to tell the stories of doctors and patients, and we're so excited at how much it's grown. To start us off today, here are a few words from one of the show's founders, Avash Kalra, an internal medicine resident at the University of Colorado, where, by the way, the open school's online curriculum is actually required for medical students prior to their graduation. Here's Avash.
1: Thanks, Lakshman. Even though I now live in Denver, over 1,000 miles from where we aired our first episode of Radio Rounds almost four years ago, I'm incredibly excited to be a part of this landmark episode for us. Not only our Season 7 finale, but again, the 100th episode of Radio Rounds. It's humbling to think about how many people have been involved along the way to make this possible, and it is almost impossible to sum up what this experience has been like for us so far, to produce and air 100 episodes of this program. But one constant throughout this process has been our profound passion for interacting with our listeners. Those of us who have traveled to conferences around the country to talk about Radio Rounds fondly remember meeting with our listeners. So I'd like to start today's show by thanking all of you listening, as well as our supporters and our partners. I'd also like to thank every staff member on our ever-growing team and, of course, every guest we've ever had, all 200-plus of them. We love every part of doing the show every week. When our staff gets together, whether it's uh, in the studio or out, we have an incredible amount of fun. But the real joy is in sharing. Sharing the stories that we've been so fortunate to hear in these past 100 episodes. The story of physicians, of patients, of the human side of medicine is why we founded this show and why we continue and will continue to do this. In these 100 episodes, there have been countless stories beyond the occasional quote-unquote big-name guests that we've had, like Samuel Shem, Howard Dean, Patch Adams, winners of the Pulitzer Prize, and so on, we've spoken to a spinal surgeon who himself suffered a paralyzing spinal cord injury. Imagine that cruel irony. To a physician who, as a medical student, walked through the rubble of the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001, looking for survivors to a nine-year-old diagnosed with terminal illness, to a physician from rural Indiana who broke down in tears in the middle of our interview with him as he recounted the grief and hardship he witnessed while taking care of people in Haiti following the earthquake that devastated that country in 2010. I mentioned those examples specifically because although I've been to medical school and I've been in hospitals, I've never been to many of those places, to the World Trade Center, to Haiti, And I've never had a spinal cord injury or been diagnosed with a terminal illness. We want to bring people the stories of people and places within the broad world of medicine that otherwise we might never encounter. Because just as is the case with all the patients we work with, we are without a doubt the product of all the stories we ever hear and all the stories we ever experience. So for a lot of us, myself included, the power of the story is what drew us to medicine. In fact, I'm fairly certain that the reason why I'm essentially blind without my contact lenses is because when I was a kid and my parents turned the lights out at night when I was supposed to be sleeping, I sat there in the dark, squinting through a pile of books that my parents had left near the bed. But for me, as I've grown up, so to speak, and as I've become a young physician, I've realized that the type of stories we deal with in medicine is the truly appealing aspect of this profession. They're not like the kinds we grew up reading, well-structured with a beginning, a middle, and an end. They're instead ongoing and evolving and unpredictable. They're stories that have a beginning, a middle, and really no end. And the power of the stories that we try and share here on Radio Rounds are the ones that focus on that never-ending middle that provides snapshots into the lives of people who provide us perspectives on the medical profession, from physicians to patients to leaders trying to improve the quality of health care we deliver. So I suppose it's only fitting for us, as we focus on stories that have no end, that we thank you again for listening to us, for helping us celebrate our 100th episode of Radio Rounds, a show that we hope never ends either. So enjoy the show, everyone. For Radio Rounds, I'm Avash Kalra, helping bring you today's stories from tomorrow's doctors.
4: Today's episode features the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, or IHI, Open School for Healthcare Professionals. We've addressed the idea of quality and safety in medicine in several previous episodes this season, featuring world-renowned leaders in the field such as Don Berwick, past administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and Maureen Bisignano, CEO of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I should let you know that I'm very involved with the Open School myself. I'm the regional leader for the Midwestern region, coordinating student activities
3: from my home in Ohio. To give you an idea of what the open school is, let me read a quote from Abdul Gawande at Harvard's medical school commencement last year. Two years ago, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement started its open school, offering free online courses in system skills such as outcome measurement, quality improvement, implementation, and leadership. They hoped a few hundred medical students would enroll. 45,000 did. You've recognized faster than any of us that the way we train, practice, and innovate has to change.
4: Certainly a great endorsement from Dr. Gawande, but the Open School has grown significantly since 2011. With over 150,000 members now enrolled in 500 chapters in over 50 countries, the Open School is truly a student-driven movement for improvement in healthcare. To get a better idea of what it means to teach quality improvement in healthcare, I spoke with Mike Britton, Managing Editor for The Open School, and Dr. James Moses, Practicing Pediatrician and Faculty Advisor for The Open School. So I'm here today at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement Offices in Cambridge, Massachusetts with some of the IHI Open School staff. We have with us the academic advisor for the Open School, Dr. James Moses, as well as the managing editor for the Open School, Mike Britton. Mike, Dr. Moses, it's great to have you with us today. We're just going to talk a little bit about the Open School and really get to the heart of what it means to teach quality. Uh, Mike, could you just tell us a little bit about what the
0: Open School is? So I think the Open School has has gained some traction in the past few years, and a lot of people know what it is and what we're trying to do. But for those that don't, uh, it started in October of 2008. It was another wonderful brainchild of Don Berwick. His, His idea was to teach quality improvement and patient safety that was not being taught in regular medical schools, nursing schools, and pharmacy schools. His idea was to let the students pretty much pick what they wanted to learn. So we created this thing called an open school. And at the beginning, it had six online courses, no chapter network and just a handful of students that were really interested in quality improvement and patient safety. And if you fast forward to about three and a half years later, we're approaching 100,000 students and residents that have gone through the open school. Uh, we have 460 chapters in 54 countries around the world, and the numbers just continue to grow every month. So it really is an exciting project to be a part of, and every day we we are we're, we're just sort of blessed to, to hear from new students out there that are actually starting to make changes in the quality and the care in their local settings. It's amazing how much growth
4: the open school has had. Uh, earlier in the introduction to this episode, we heard a quote from Tulgawande from his commencement speech at Harvard about how amazing the growth has been.
0: But could you tell us a little bit more about the kinds of things that students actually learn? So, yeah, it started initially with our online curriculum, so we'll start there. And we have 17 different courses that are focused around quality improvement, patient safety, which are really the bread and butter of of IHI, and then leadership, managing healthcare operations, and patient family-centered care. These courses are free for students, they're free for residents, they're free for faculty, they'll always be that way. And they just really walk you through the basics so that you can talk the talk if you don't know anything about it, so that you can really get immersed in it if that's your goal. And again, each course takes about an hour to two hours to complete, and it really just gives you the basics, the understanding of what it means to to improve care, and how to improve care. The second part was really this chapter network that started, and and this really happened organically. Students just said, you know, the the online courses are great, and and I love learning about this stuff, but I'd love to have some face-to-face interaction. So students at campuses across the United States and then across the world started getting together to discuss the courses, to discuss case studies, to have seminars of their own, to bring in speakers of their own, and even really start to change their own curriculums at their institutions just because they were so excited about learning about quality improvement patient safety and how one it could make them better clinicians and two how it could make them more confident in their care for patients so it really has just been this giant organic growth that we're we're sort of humbled by when we see the numbers every day it sounds like students are really passionate about this kind
4: of work what is what is the real value of having a chapter network i mean obviously people kind of wanted more face-to-face contact but Is there any way that they actually get that through the
0: network? They do. We're sort of we just sort of the home base that provides the support. And through this network, they can learn from each other. They can share in the successes and the failures that they experience out in the field. We, we have a number of events that we put on as well throughout the year as part of the IHI National Forum, which is in its 24th or 25th year this year. We have a student section of that where they spend a day talking and, and discussing how to improve the chapter network and how to get patient safety and quality improvement into more curriculums. For the past two summers, and for next summer, we have a uh, Student Quality Leadership Academy, which brings uh, about a hundred students in from around the country and around the world to hear from folks like Dr. Berwick, Vinsani, Dr. Jim Raddatz, and these people that have really have have really laid the path of the Open School, and then can come and talk about their experiences in healthcare and how students can benefit from that. So I think it's really the that face to face piece that really drives, drives home the value of the open school.
4: So we've talked about how the open school is teaching these important aspects of safety and quality to students in healthcare professions, and maybe even students who haven't gotten to that level yet. Dr. Moses, is there any relevance in this for people who are not involved in healthcare who aren't working in healthcare fields?
2: Yeah, there is, because everyone's a patient. So in every walk of life, there's going to be some interaction between an individual and the healthcare system. Everybody is going to get sick at some point. Everybody's going to have a loved one or someone that they care for who does get sick. And it's really important that those people get the care that they deserve. And it needs to be the right care for the right person at the right time. That makes this everybody's responsibility. So if there's anybody who is interested in this as a topic, we strongly encourage them to come to the open school to learn more about it.
4: Dr. Moses, you have many roles here in Boston as a clinician and as a teacher, both at the Boston University Medical Center as well as Children's Hospital of Boston. I know you're engaged in working as a clinician as well as teaching residents as well as even serving to on the, the residency program itself in a career that's already so busy, why is this worthwhile? Why is this worth putting your effort into? I mean, a lot of these students that you are interacting with or influencing through the open school are students that you'll never even see.
2: It's a good question, but it is extremely important. So I see it as my responsibility to do everything that I possibly can to try to improve care for patients. That's not just the care of my patients, but that's the care of every single patient. And what the Open School provides for me as an experience is, is really helping others, really across the world, to try to improve care for their patients, uh, and so it's extremely important. So if you think about my various responsibilities, there are some that are local, um, that are directly about improving care for my department. There is responsibility for teaching residents who come in through our residency program to be better pediatricians uh, by knowing how to improve systems of care. And then the open school really kind of provides a venue to reach out really across academic medical institutions, healthcare professionals, student training programs, whether it's nurses or school of public health or school of management programs, all to really try to improve the ability of future healthcare professionals to improve the care for patients.
4: So, Dr. Moses, can you tell us a little bit about exactly what you do with the Open School?
2: Yeah, so I joined the Open School about a year ago, and the timing of my joining the team really coincided with us trying to take the online modules that we created, which really teach the theory of quality improvement and patient safety, and we had to come up with a way to really, how can we bring this learning to actually care being improved at the local setting. And so when I joined, uh, we were actively testing the concept of what we are calling the Quality Improvement Practicum. And that practicum is really oriented to getting the healthcare professional students and residents, and, and really even healthcare professionals who don't know quality improvement, who may have taken our online courses, who may have attained the basic certificate but are not in a position to actually get this, to be in a position to do quality improvement uh, in their local setting. And this really provides a structured way for them to take their theoretical learning and apply it, apply it to their patients, apply it to really the local care settings in which they're working. I think it's really important that the only true way that one can learn how to do quality improvement is by doing quality improvement. And I feel like the contribution that I've personally been able to make to our team at this point is by creating that opportunity within the open school.
4: I really like that comment that the best way to learn quality improvement is to do it. I think that actually resonates with a lot of, of clinical med- medical training as well. But could you, could you give us an example about what that really means? Can you give us an example of a project maybe where you, ca- you could see some improvement, you could see some learning as well?
2: I think to give an example of that for us is we've been trying to improve our care for sickle cell patients in the emergency room and specifically trying to improve our timing to pain medications for patients with sickle cell disease who are coming in with painful episodes and you know we started our process of yeah having a nurse join our team having a couple of doctors join our team and having having some pharmacy uh, folks join our team as well but there was one important part of the system that we didn't include and that was patient and it wasn't until we actually had a patient who joined us in doing the quality improvement activity that we were really able to make sure that the interventions that we are, were identifying to test and to eventually implement were going to be as patient-centered as they needed to be. And so that was a key learning. It's something that we always say, but you don't really realize the value of having a patient as part of your quality improvement team until you're actually trying to do quality improvement. We as doctors specifically tend to be very sure of ourselves when it comes down to identifying solutions that we think is best for our own system because we think we own the system in the sense that we are responsible for care we're responsible for making sure that the right care happens but it's really not our system it's really the patient system and the more that we can do to ensure that like patients voices are incorporated into the work that we do it's really important it's one of the early lessons that I learned
4: so I think that that's really speaks to a major cultural change that's going on in medicine right now where the patient is getting more and more of a voice. This might be a tougher question, but let's say that there's a, someone listening out there who is the mother or father of a kid who's um, sick right now, and they're in an institution that they don't really see a lot of this kind of quality improvement stuff going on. How do you think that they might be able to learn more and maybe get involved and, and help spur that on as an advocate for improving the care that their child will receive? Yeah,
2: I think there is a number of different ways. Every single hospital has a leadership group of that hospital. And more and more, that leadership group needs to be coming more oriented toward quality, making sure that the quality of care is is what it should be. And they are going to be very receptive to having patients, parents of patients, families of patients, reach out to them to really hear what they're doing to improve quality of care within their hospital. So I would encourage any any parent out there, any patient out there that is concerned about maybe the quality of care that they're receiving to engage in the leadership of that care setting. I think another way is to advocate for themselves in the moment. So when care is not going the right way, or even when it is going the right way, it's important that the parents and uh, the parents of patients really ensure that they're being a strong advocate for what's supposed to happen, making sure it's the right medication at the right time for the right person and really engaging and working with as part of the healthcare team, as opposed to being someone who's getting served by the healthcare team. It's very important that they become as integral as they possibly can during any kind of care experience with the care that they're personally receiving.
0: You know, I think the sickle cell example that Dr. Moses just presented is obviously a a fantastic example of quality improvement being done in in the local setting. But I think, you know, just, just as sort of an addition to that, it doesn't have to be on a grand scale. It can be a small change, and I think this is really where we're trying to um, encourage students in the open school to start, and we've seen some success already. One example that stands out in my mind, there's a medical student at the University of Dundee over in Scotland. Who improved wait time in in the theater and ended up uh, with a cost savings of twelve hundred pounds per day, which is kind of a big deal. And you know that's just that's just a student looking at a system and saying, "Well, wait a minute, this this doesn't make sense." And what if what if we just did it this way, running a couple PDSA cycles, having some nice faculty advisor, and it turns out that she's making a big big change in her system. It just goes to show that you don't need to look at an entire hospital system and say, okay, I'm going to change the way that medications are delivered. You can just look at at one patient and say, how can I make care better for this patient? And it's probably going to lead you to some uh, serious quality improvement that's going to be gratifying for you and at the end of the day, why everyone is here, make care better for the patient.
4: You know, Mike, I think that's just such a great point about how you can start basically anywhere. And if you just keep your eye on the patient, you'll find something to improve and you'll find a way to do it. Dr. Moses, where can someone start?
2: I think it's really important to start at the bedside. So I think if you're a student out there or a resident or a healthcare professional who's wanting to learn how to do quality improvement, go shadow a patient who's getting admitted to an inpatient service. Go shadow a patient who's being discharged from an inpatient service to home. Go to a home setting to see how someone with a chronic illness manages their, their chronic illness. It's from that vantage point that you're going to see where our system fails our patients. And you will readily be able to identify a quality improvement project really from all those experiences. It will it will really be overwhelming to you just how difficult it can sometimes be being a patient getting cared for by our healthcare system.
4: Wonderful. Thanks so much for joining us and for anyone interested, definitely check out the Institute for Healthcare Improvements Open School. That was my interview with James Moses and Mike Bridden of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement's Open School. Actually, I just returned from the IHI's 24th National Forum this past week in Orlando, and it was an incredible experience. With thousands of physicians, nurses, administrators, and pretty much everyone else involved in healthcare present, I got to experience some amazing energy and meet students from all around the world. Definitely check out the... Institute for Healthcare Improvements Open School at www.ihi.org openschool or email me at lswami at radiorounds.org for more information.
3: Thanks for listening everyone, not just to today's but all of our past hundred episodes. We've got plenty more in store for you starting right back up in January. In addition to this episode, you can also find a complete listing of past episodes for download and much more on our website. Contact our team at Radio Rounds anytime via email, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Be sure to visit us at our sweet new website, www.radiorounds.org.
0: Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. Sponsored by the American Medical Association. Providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at medplusadvantage.com.
4: Radio Rounds is also proudly partnered with the Student Doctor Network, online at studentdoctor.net. Is an application to medical school in your future? Learn tips for admission success in the new second edition of the Student Doctor Network Medical School Admissions Guide, available now in paperback and electronic formats through the SDN Bookstore at studentdoctor.net.
3: Please remember that the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of the partners of Radio Rounds or of the Wright State University Boonshoff School of Medicine.
4: For our entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm Lakshman Swami, and one day, we'll, we'll be your doctors. doctors.